Hello, I am LaShawn Hanna, and you're listening to the CG Learning the Ropes podcast, a forum for professional development, leadership, and golden nuggets from Coast Guard luminaries and role models past and present. Episode one with Vice Admiral retired Peter Neffinger. Here's a little bit about his background. He was appointed in 2015 by President Obama to lead the Transportation Security Administration, a position he held until January 2017. Prior to this, he enjoyed a distinguished 34-year career in the Coast Guard, where he served as the 29th Vice Commandant, the head of Coast Guard Global Operations, and most notably as the Deputy National Incident Commander for the 2010 BP Gulf oil spill, the largest and most complex in U.S. history. I really had a lot of fun recording this one. It really brought me back to my days as a junior officer. Here we go. All right, Admiral. So uh, thanks for uh, calling into the CG Learning the Ropes podcast. It's such a treat uh, to have you join us for this session. No, my pleasure. Uh, so I want to start from the beginning of your uh, Coast Guard career. What, what led you to a career in the Coast Guard? Well, that's a good question. I was, um, I guess it's, uh, you know, I grew up reading stories about going to sea. You know, I always, I loved Captain's Courageous and all the, all the um, uh, Joseph Conrad novels about sailing in the South Pacific and Admiral Byrd to the, to the North Pole and all that other business. And so I always had this, this romantic notion of what it'd be like to go to sea. And Graduated from college, uh, did not go to sea right away, did not join the Coast Guard right away, but but moved to uh, New York, worked in the nonprofit sector for a while. And I guess one day I woke up and thought, you know, if I don't do this soon, I'm never going to do it. So I just, I mean, I walked over to the Coast Guard recruiter on Governor's Island and um, talked to him. I, the reason I thought about the Coast Guard, I, ha I had an uncle who was a career Coast Guard officer. He retired uh -huh. as, a, as an 06. Uh, and I was talking to him one day, and he just said, you know, why don't you take a look at the Coast Guard? Because I was looking at the Navy and Merchant okay. Marine and so forth. Anyways, long story short, I, I walked over, and uh, next thing I knew, three months later, I was at Officer Candidate School. Awesome, awesome. So I want to drill down on that piece a bit where you looked at the Navy, the Merchant Marine. Obviously, you have a college degree. You could have gone into a number of fields. Um, what were those other things you considered, and, and kind of what, in the end, uh, late favor to the Coast Guard? Well, you know, Lusan, for me, I, I I always just wanted adventure out of life. Uh, and maybe that comes from having been an English major and reading lots of adventure stories. But, but the, you know, I always, I always felt that, you know, as long as I made enough money to take the issue of money off the table, I wasn't that motivated by trying to, trying to become wealthy or, or anything like that. And, and nothing about sitting behind a desk all day long or just climbing my way through a corporate ladder really appealed right. to me. Right. And, and I mean, I had some experience with that after college, you know, I, I worked in, as I said, I worked in the nonprofit sector and, 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 and did just go into an office and sit behind a desk and, and realized that, that all the stuff that was interesting to me were the things I was reading about other people doing, you know, traveling mm. around and, right. and getting involved. And, and, and there's a piece of me that, that strongly believed in public service. Uh, I grew up in a, you know, I grew up uh, pretty much during the 60s and 70s, and, and that was a time of calls to public service. You know, I was six years old when John Kennedy was inaugurated, and uh, I remember my father uh, made us all memorize the 
inaugural address, especially that part wow. that says, "Ask not what you can do, what your country <laughs> can do for you. You can do, but what you can do for your country." I, I, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to stumble on that, but it was the uh, it was the that famous call to public service, right? And uh, and I remember the founding of the Peace Corps and and all of the all of this sense that you know as as members of as citizens of a of a of a prosperous country, we could do wonderful things for the world around us and, and the country with us. So, so I really had this strong belief in public service and, and, and I guess, you know, when I stumbled into the Coast Guard, um, it, it answered a couple of those quick questions for me. One, it gave me this sense that I was part of something a little bit bigger. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing my, you know, my dad used to always say is he said, you know, Peter, it's not about you. I remember when I was a kid, you know, you, you'd throw a little temper tantrum and, <laughs> and um, you know, because I wanted to be playing with my friends and instead I had to help my dad around the house. Right. And he would just stop and look at me and then he'd say, so are you done yet? And, <laughs> and, and I'd say, yeah, I guess so. He goes, good, let's get back to work. We've got some stuff to get done here. And, uh, and, wow. and I always loved that approach. So it was this real sense that, the, you know, part of being – you know, a human being is, is what you contribute to the world around you. So that was important to me. And, uh, and then the other part was I, you know, I quite honestly, I just wanted to go see things and do things and go places. And wow. so, so the Coast Guard kind of gave me what I thought would be that opportunity. And, 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 and quite honestly, in retrospect, it was more than I could have ever imagined on both those points. Oh, fantastic. How inspiring. Um, okay. So you're in the Coast Guard. Mm -hmm. And you've got all these career paths you could choose from. So what ultimately led you to choosing marine safety? Well, you know, when I joined, in, so I came in in 1981, October of 1981. Uh, actually took the oath of office on the same day that Anwar Sadat was uh, assassinated. Wow. Uh, which is interesting, which is why I remember that date. It was yeah. October 6, 1981. But that's when, I, that's when I came in, took the oath of office and showed up at Officer Candidate School. And back then, it was interesting, if you recall, that was the, the very first year of the Reagan administration. And at the time that I went to uh, OCS, uh, there was a, um, a budget proposed by the Reagan administration, the 1982 budget, which would have dramatically cut the Coast Guard's budget. Mm. And so, so during the time that I was OC at OCS, uh, what, what was predicted to be the, the types of orders we would get go to see, you know, operational units uh, dramatically changed. So I wound up with a set of orders that um, had me going to uh, what was then a reserve training office in, a in the 8th Coast Guard District. So back, back then we had um, uh, reserve training, uh, reserve divisions at every district office, and uh, reserve units were independent units that uh, reported to the district office. So I got, a, I got orders to a reserve office in, in New Orleans, and I thought – Holy cow! I joined the Coast Guard to go to sea, and I'm going. I'm going back to a desk. <laughs> you know, that's exactly what I what I tried to leave the civilian world to do. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember. I, I, I think uh, actually it was me and uh, Kurt Springer. Who I don't know if you remember Kurt Springer. He was he's a retired Coast Guard captain. He and I he and I were considered universally to have the two worst sets of orders in my OCS <laughs> class because he he went to reserve training at headquarters. Oh wow! <laughs> I told him I said at least I got out of Washington D.C. But uh, Anyways, so I, you know, I didn't really pick my career. It, it sort of got picked for me. But I was really fortunate because I, I went down to uh, New Orleans, and uh, the district commander at the time was this wonderful guy named uh, Bill Stewart. Mm -hmm. He was a, a two-star. Um, 
he had this great signature. He just signed his name like a big reverse Zorro. It was just a big <laughs> S. And, uh, and I remember I asked him once, I said, aren't you afraid somebody will counterfeit that? He said, only once. So it, <laughs> anyways, I remember, you know, one of the things they taught us in OCS was, you know, make sure you, you do a courtesy call on your commanding officer when you, when you first arrive. Well, right. my commanding officer was the district commander. So I, I, I paid a courtesy call. And the first thing he did was he looked at me and he says, what in the world is an ensign doing in the district office? <laughs> and, and I said, I asked that very same question, but, uh, but they didn't change my orders. Uh, so, but he was a wonderful guy because he said, look, you're assigned here. He said, it's a, it's, it's a really important job. He said, the Coast Guard's too small not to have important jobs. He said, the only dead-end jobs in the Coast Guard are the ones that people don't do anything with. So I really mm -hmm. liked that. Yeah. And, it, and it really set my way of thinking. And then the other thing he said was, and he said, and I'm going to make sure that you get exposed to other things around the Coast Guard. So he, oh, wow. he would send me down to the what was then a group captain of the port office, mm -hmm. um, over to the MIO, uh, just to get a feel for the things that the Coast Guard does. And then as it turns out, being in the reserve training division, I wound up doing some really interesting things. I went to, I went to SAR school, I went to Aton school, I, did, I, would, I would go out and sometimes drill with reserve units. Um, you know, I became a 41 footer coxswain, wow. all those kinds of things. Wow. And, uh, and it just gave me an exposure to a broad range of Coast Guard uh, operational um, uh, capabilities, mostly in the small boat world. But I also, you know, got out on some cutters periodically. And like I said, got off to um, a couple of the a couple of the schools that um, that later uh, set me up for some other things. So it turned out to be a really great introduction. It was about 18 months of it. The other thing I did, um, well, still, if I back up to OCS, you know, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't excited about my orders because everybody was telling me how horrible they were and, and, and how it was going to be the end of my career before it started. And so I wrote a letter to um, the, what was Officer Personnel Management back then. I, I can't remember exactly what the, what the letter designations were because, you know, it's changed about a dozen times right, in the last right. 30 years. But, but it was the equivalent of OPM mm -hmm. uh, back then. And, and it, was a, it was a nice letter. I just said, look, um, Officer Candidate Neffinger here. I just got this set of orders to District Reserve. Just wondering if there's any potential I could get a set of orders to, a, uh, to an operational unit. And, uh, you know, I, I remember the school chief called me and he said, uh, he said, you know, you can't send this letter. This thing, is, this, this thing will kill your career. Wow. And, uh, wow. and I said, yesterday you told me I didn't have a career with the orders I had. I said, so I, I, said, so, so I figure I got nothing to lose. And, <laughs> and, and actually, that was one lesson I took out of it was you got nothing to lose by asking for what you want. Right. Well, anyways, I got this very nice letter back um, uh, from OPM. And it, was, it came back before I left OCS. And it just said, you know, essentially, you're right. It, it kind of it's 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 not great that we can't send you to an operational unit, but uh, but if you're still here, you know if you're still interested a year from now, uh, I'll see what I can do. And it was from the chief of OPM. Wow. And wow. and true to true to their word, I got a set of orders to um, uh, a 378 um, wow. a year later. Uh, Incredible. It was 18 months by the time I transferred, but it was fantastic. I got a call, uh, same guy, and he called me and he said, uh, "Look, he goes, you, you'll go anywhere, right?" I said, "I'll go anywhere." And uh, he said. 378 out of Governor's Island. I said, works for me. He said, student, <laughs> student engineer. I said, sure, <laughs> works. Wow. that's good. And so I, I transferred to the Gallatin in um, uh, the August of 1982, so, or not, of 83, I'm sorry. So I was there, I was down in New Orleans for 18 months and then, and then, and then off to the Gallatin. So from there, so I was a student engineer. Uh, I, the, the 
CEO of the Gallatin, well, I went through a couple CEOs, but the, 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 the final CEO that I had there was, was a great guy. He, he felt that all junior officers on board needed to qualify as deck officers. So right. in addition to qualifying as a student engineer, I was a fully qualified um, uh, OD. Mm-hmm. And uh, coming off of there, I really thought I was going to just go back-to-back sea tours. Uh, but, uh, but the other thing uh, back in those days is, you know, if you were – uh, if you were a lieutenant junior grade coming off an operational unit, you kind of went wherever the detailer told you to go. Oh, okay. and, uh, right. and because of my student engineering background, uh, they put me into the Marine Safety Program. Oh, okay. So that's how I wound up in the Marine Safety Program. I transferred back to New Orleans to what was first Marine Inspection Office. It transitioned to a Marine Safety Office during the time that I was there because that was when they were consolidating all of those. So that's how I wound up in the, in the Marine Safety Program. Uh, uh, another set of orders I didn't ask for, but uh, it turned out, turned out good. And, uh, and I spent four years as a Marine inspector, uh, Marine inspector investigator, and um, uh, worked, uh, worked, kind of cycled through all the different divisions that we had at the time. It was, you had the deep draft division, the um, uh, offshore division, and, uh, and then the towboat, workboat, um, brownwater division. And so each of us kind of rode through that. And then, and then a year in the investigations department. Wow. S- such a unique start to your career. Uh, it's an incredible story. Um, so let's fast forward a little bit more at, you know, was it Lieutenant, was it Lieutenant commander? Was there ever a point in your career where you're going along your journey and you maybe start to realize that, wow, I'm kind of pretty good at this coast guard thing. I could experience some success. Well, you know, that's a good, I, I, I don't know if I, and, and, and I say this and it always sounds like, like, like you're, you know, um, humble bragging, but, um, but I'm not sure that I ever really thought about how much longer it would last, but I knew that I, at, at many points that I wanted to stick around a little while longer and that I had an opportunity to, you know, the, uh, I, after the new Orleans assignment, I, um, I got the chance to, uh, go to American Samoa for two years, uh, which was, a it was a, a liaison office at the time. Uh, I, I lobbied hard for that job because I, I read about it in what used to be called the Commandant's Bulletin. It was the old Coast Guard mm, magazine right. uh, back back in the 80s and early 90s. And and somebody who'd had that job had written this article, and I'll never forget the title of it. It just said, A Gem of a Job in the South Pacific. And it was open to people with marine inspection backgrounds because mm-hmm. there was a, a large um, fishing fleet that sailed out of there to support two big tuna canneries and, um, and then uh, a number of, you know, tank ships and, and, and other things that would support those, those, that fishing fleet. So there was a, a need to have people down there with some background in, in commercial vessel oversight and uh, commercial shipping and safety and, 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 and waterways management and so forth. And, uh, and I'd been fortunate in that, that, um, year and a half in the reserve program had given me a lot of exposure to captain deport functions. And, um, and then the four years I spent as a marine inspector. So, so I remember calling a detailer and saying, Hey, I'd really like to go there. And, um, and he said, that's a dead end job. You said, well, you're not going to go there. And, and I said, so I, I pulled out the, the Bill Stewart line. I said, you know, the only dead end jobs in the Coast Guard are the ones that nobody's ever done anything with. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, I'm not going to send you there. And, uh, so I thought that was that. And I got a call about a month and a half later. I couldn't get anybody else to go. And he said, you're serious? You'll take that job? I said, yeah, I'll take that job. Wow. And uh, so I did. And, and, and honestly, Lushan, that's the job that transformed the way I thought about the Coast Guard. Okay. And, and it did it in a couple of, of key ways. 
because I probably, I don't know if I was thinking about a long-term career yet because, you know, you're still, you're still less than 10 years in the Coast Guard, less than eight years actually at that point. And, uh, but I went there and, and two things really, really um, made a strong impression on me. One was, you know, I stopped through the district office in Honolulu. I met, I, at the time, that, that, that um, liaison officer reported directly to the chief of staff of the district. It's, it's, now, a, it's now a subunit of, of um, the sector, but, but back then it was a, a direct line to the chief of staff. I remember meeting with the district commander who was a, a guy named Kozlowski, Admiral Kozlowski, who was an uh, aviator, really nice guy. And he, he looked at me and he said, he said, you know, Lieutenant Neffen, he goes, I don't know you from Adam. He said, you got an okay reputation. He said, but most <laughs> lieutenants, most lieutenants haven't had time to make any mistakes. So he said, okay. <laughs> he said, so, so I'm going to, I'm going to trust it uh, that you know what you're doing. He said, here's my advice to you. He said, go down there and do what the Coast Guard does. He said, do it well. He said, don't ask permission. He said, the only thing that's ever going to get you in trouble with me is if you fail to act. He wow. said, you do the right thing. He said, I'll have your back 100%. And he said, and, and he said, by all means, just go have fun. He said, that's a, he said, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. And so, you know, when somebody is like that, so that was another example of people, senior, I got very fortunate in the people I worked for in the Coast Guard. I really worked for some, some wonderful people. I mean, there's a few stinkers along the way, like any, <laughs> like any organization. Right. But my, my commanding officers, my bosses, my supervisors were all really talented people who, and, and, and decent people who just said, go do what the Coast Guard does. We don't have time to duplicate each other's work um, and, and, and be creative, be entrepreneurial. So that, when I was down there for two years, it was I, what I discovered was one, the Coast Guard rewards people who are um, entrepreneurial, who are creative, right. who take action, who think things through, who take risks, and uh, and so I was able to do all those things. And, and you know, we uh, we created the first ever what was called the American Samoa Marine Patrol, but it was essentially like a, a you know a Coast Guard for the for American Samoa. They, they, the the government had no capability to respond to anything on the water. And when I, when I was the first week I was there, two people drowned uh, within hailing distance of shore, but we couldn't get to them because there was no, no boats out there. Uh, so we worked to uh, create, we got a, I got a, worked with a guy who was a, a Department of Interior representative down there, and we got a, a quarter million dollar grant from Department of Interior to, to create a little training academy, to buy a 27-foot um, Boston whaler. Uh, we brought the auxiliary down from, from Honolulu to teach piloting, basic seamanship and navigation piloting, uh, sent, we, 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 you know, identified the, the initial crew, if you will, of this, of this, what would be this Marine patrol and sent a bunch of them off to, uh, a schools. I went, I sent some folks to, you know, small boat maintenance school and, and, and outboard motor maintenance and things like that. We, we've sent people, a couple of people off to Bozo mate school to quartermaster school back when there was a quartermaster uh, rate. And, and then sent the, the leadership team up to what was then base Honolulu to learn about, you know, creating watch rotations and managing a watch and, and standing, standing duty and so forth. It was a really, it was fascinating. So we, and then we, we had this big academy celebration at the end of it all. And, and at no point did anybody in the Coast Guard say, you're, you're ahead of your headlights here and that you're slow down. Yeah. And, and so I think it was that two years I spent down there that said, I said to myself, you know, this is a great organization and, and it rewards, it rewards you if you're innovative, 
you're creative. It doesn't stomp on ideas. Um, it doesn't, and it doesn't discourage you from trying to do things that, that may or may not work. And so I think that, that at that point I thought it was more that I thought I want to stick around as long as I can, as long as those kinds of things, you know, keep happening to me. And, um, and I think, you know, you just get, you find out that if you really like what you do, you like the people you work with, you get rewarded, you tend to, you, you tend to just do pretty well, you know, and okay. people, people keep you around. So I don't know if that answers your question, but it, that's, it does. that's, that's kind of what drove me. It does. Thank you. It, it's interesting. You said, um, they would have an issue with you if you fail to act. And, and that ethos is still true today. We say bias for action yep. a lot. Uh, and so, wow, that's enlightening for you to say that. Um, I want to talk a bit about intangibles, right? Mm -hmm. So there's education, there's your OER, there's, there's your marks, there's recommendations, there's all these tactile things or documented um, evidence of your performance, including awards. Um, that demonstrate your potential and what you've accomplished. What were those intangibles you saw maybe in yourself or others that truly made people good leaders and exceptional performers? Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a really good question. It's a really insightful question, LaShawn. Uh, it, um, you know, those things you just mentioned, all those external things, I mean, they're, that's, that's just a, um, it's kind of like, that's just a resume. Uh, but the resume doesn't mean much without without understanding the substance behind it. And I think that the thing that, that most impressed me about others, and it really was about others. You know, I, I said, you know, when I retired from the Coast Guard, uh, I said, I got a lot of questions about what kept me in the Coast Guard for 30, 40 years. And, and, and quite honestly, it was, it was the chance to continue to work with people who were who didn't make it about them every day, who really mm -hmm. made it about what they could do. And the best of the best were always the ones who raised their hand for anything, mm -hmm. who said, who, who kind of got the fact that, okay, if you join the military um, and they're going to tell you where to live and they're going to tell you what to do and they're going to tell you what to wear and how to cut your hair and all that other business, the, um, the, the, what comes with that? So that's all the, the you know the stuff that most people look at and go, ah, I couldn't do that. That'd be terrible. You know, it makes me crazy. But but what I liked about it was it it took a bunch of stuff off the table that you normally have to worry about, and it just said, you know, if you trust us to take care of you, we're going to expose you to worlds that you had only dreamed of. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you're going to like it. Sometimes you're not going to like it. But again, as one of my earlier bosses said, he goes, look, what's the worst that can happen? two years and you get to do something else, you know? Right. <laughs> so um, the other thing he used to say is, is, and he's, and if you thought you were that important, he said, we wouldn't move you every two years. He said, so get, <laughs> get over yourself. But so I always like that. Anyway, so I like this idea that, that, that you kind of, the, there's this unwritten contract um, that between you and people always forget about the other side of the contract. The one side is the Coast Guard says, look, Lushan, we're going to, we're going to move you around. You're not going to have a lot to say about it. We'll, we'll, we'll let you think that you can put in a dream sheet and maybe go where you want to go, but you're still going to go where we need you to go. And there's the needs of the service. But the other side of it is the Coast Guard has made a promise to make you as prepared and as, as capable as they can. And they put all of this opportunity in front of you. So things like, you know, graduate degrees and schools and the like are just the opportunities that are presented to you if you take advantage of them. The intangibles are what you do with it. You know, do you, do you, do you embrace it and do you look for, for an openness to whatever comes along? Or mm -hmm. do you try to just say, geez, if I don't get this job, then I'm done, then, then I'm done with these guys. Mm 
Right. You know, the the, un, the unhappiest people I ever saw were the ones that I used to see sitting on in the wardroom of the Gallatin, saying, you know, trying to mapping out their entire career. I got to go from here to this mm -hmm. job to this job to this job, right. and you've seen them all, mm -hmm. and and then they don't get the next job that they want, and the world has come to an end. They're either right. really angry at the detailer, or, and I, I would hear people yelling at a detailer, and I always thought that's probably not the smartest thing you could do, <laughs> but. Uh, but you know, so I, what I always said was, look, I always obviously have preferences, but then I don't know as much as the rest of the Coast Guard does. So I'll tell you what I'd like to do, but I'll do anything you want me to do. And at some point, if if you keep having me do things that aren't interesting to me anymore, then probably both of us will want to part ways. Right. I, but but so the intangibles to me are how willing are you? First of all, do you understand, you know, what the organization is you join. I mean, you, you have to know what, what this beast is you're part of. Right. You know, there, there are things that, that, are, that, that are just part of the nature of being part of the military and part of a, an organization like the Coast Guard. And so there's, a, there's, a, there's an understanding of that. And then, and then within that, you know, how much can you give of yourself so that the organization gives you back a lot? Mm -hmm. that, so, right. so to me, it's, it's, it's full engagement. And then, and then become a full professional at whatever you do. You know, I... I, I used to uh, tell people, you know, as I got more, well, at, not just as I was junior, but as I got more senior, I said, part of understanding your job is really understanding your world. So, for example, if you're in the Marine Safety Program, you really should read the rules. Mm -hmm. Actually, if you're in any part of the Coast Guard, you actually should read the law that authorizes what you are to do. I was, I was always shocked when people would come in and they'd, they'd, they'd want to issue a, a captain of the port order, for example. And I'd say, well, what's the authority for that? And I'd get this. These, this kind of this blank look, and they'd say, "Well, well, we've, it's just what we do." Oh, yeah. And I said, "Well, it's not just what we do; it's what we're authorized to do and right. allowed to do." So, so you really need to be a complete professional at your job. In other words, no matter what you are, find out all of the authorities associated with it. What's the extent of what I, of my of my um, of of my the boundaries, if you will, around the job that I have? Right. Uh, how much, you know. Um, License do I have to act within those boundaries? And more importantly, you know, what do I do if I see things that don't work the way they're supposed to work? And so I think, so to me, the intangibles are, you know, how engaged are you with, with the work that you're actually doing? How committed are you to, to opportunity and, and adventure? And, uh, and how willing are you just to, to say, look, whatever you got, I'll give wow. it a shot. Wow. So I want to so touch on something you so mentioned exciting. that um, at certain points you had to be reined in, right? Maybe mm -hmm. your aperture was a little too big for where you sat in the organization. And uh, I've seen that from some of our um, junior folks coming up the ranks. They're coming in more educated. They have great ideas. They're very ambitious and innovative. Uh, what advice would you give to a junior member who's thinking big early on and, and maybe told, hey, rein it in? Well, the first thing I, the advice I give is, is ask what you mean. You know, what about this is, is not acceptable to you? And I said mm -hmm. that once to a boss. He said, he goes, you know, and actually, I'll, I'll, I'll back up a little bit to my time in Samoa. I do remember the, the first time I, I, I spent a lot of time sort of writing up this proposal uh, on this. Yeah. You, have to, you, have to be, you have to be willing to, to sit down and really take some time to craft the argument for your idea, first of all. Okay. So, so the first question I'd ask, my, I'd ask myself or I'd ask somebody else if they say I got reined in is how, how complete was your argument, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, so I tried to craft an argument that made it very hard to say no. You know, if I would say, so, so if I can walk you through this Samoa thing real fast, 
you know, and the, the, the gist of the argument was this, and it's obviously much more complex than this, but I would say the Coast Guard shut its station here in 1971. Mm -hmm. uh, since that time, there's been no on-water capability down here. And the Coast Guard only makes one trip a year down here with a buoy tender. Uh, so if you just happen to be down here when something bad happens, you'll be good. Right. Uh, there are, there are, are over a thousand local fishermen that go out on small craft anywhere from 25 to 50 feet in length and, mm -hmm. and fish locally, hand fishing typically. Uh, and then there are any number of, of larger commercial fishing vessels that, that fish in the waters in and around Samoa. Uh, there is, uh, there's a large international airport here, uh, sits right on the water. Uh, there have been a couple cases in which small aircraft have gone off into the drink and, and people have uh, drowned. So there were a number, so, and so we listed a number of cases. That where, sounds like a great problem statement in a white paper. Right? Exactly, I mean, so you just go through right. this and say, so here are the, here's the existing situation and here's a, here's a set of problems that exist that falls squarely into the Coast Guard's, you know, area of concern. Mm -hmm. You know, people at hazard on the water, um, capability to respond to those at hazard on the water, and, and other things. Not to mention just, you know, standard boating safety classes and the like. So, so I said, you know, in a perfect world, we'd still have a Coast Guard station here. We might even have a Coast Guard auxiliary here. We might have these other things. That's not there. Therefore, I propose we do the following. And then mm -hmm. we came up with this, with this proposal to create... Um, this marine patrol. Now, the pushback was, look, there's, there's no money in the Coast Guard for that. Um, uh, it's, it's beyond your, your, your current remit or your current you know, set of responsibilities. It's a great idea, but, uh, but, but you know, it's just not going to go anywhere. So it wasn't so much, you know, don't think about it, but, but look, that's a big dream. Nice dream. Mm -hmm. It's not going to happen. And um, and that was at a, not that wasn't the district commander or the chief of staff. That was a you know somebody at the O five level with whom I kind of interacted on a regular basis, and uh, and I thought, well, so the first thing I think is, well, I clearly have not made a compelling enough argument because, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 then I thought, so but I got a lot, but the information, but I always listen for information. So the information I got was, okay, there's no money in the Coast Guard, so I can't ask the Coast Guard for it because originally I was thinking I'll just do this through the Coast Guard. Right. Uh, so let's see if there's another way. So I, I thought, what are all the reasons that this individual said it couldn't happen? Mm -hmm. And and I wrote all those down because I, I just took notes as we talked. And then I thought, I got if I can answer all these questions, then I can come back and say I think I got this answered. Wow. So that's when I started working with the Department of Interior rep down there to see if if he knew of any means of tapping into the funds through what was then called territorial and international affairs. Wow. And so, long story short, you know, you you kind of answer all those questions, and the next thing you know, you're um, you're, um, it's hard for anybody to say no to you because you, wow. you've now come to them and said, I'm not going to charge you anything for this. I'm going to pay for everything that we do. Um, right. And I've identified some folks in the Coast Guard Auxiliary who are more than willing to come down here on their own dime and, and, and do the, you know, all that kind of stuff. Wow. So, so I, th I think that the, um, you know, if you're getting pushback, first of all, figure out what's the nature of the pushback. You know, some, you might just work for a real jerk. Okay, right. there, there's a, there's a, that's a real possibility, right, and right. Uh, and then you just wait until you don't have a jerk in front of you anymore. <laughs> right. um, I mean, you might just or, or you might work for somebody who's threatened by your intelligence, and right. sometimes that happens. Um, so, but but that's more the exception than a rule. I think the mm -hmm. rule is generally, I just don't see how we're going to make that work. Right. And so so listen hard for the here's why I don't think it's going to work piece, and see how many of those things you can answer. 
No. And, and you'd be surprised. It's a, I, that's why I've seen amazing things happen in the Coast Guard with the people who just said, all right, so you're telling me there's still a chance here we can get this done, you know? Because <laughs> I didn't hear a direct no. I just heard all the, all the barriers and obstacles. And I looked right. for ways to just remove as many of those as I could. Wow. True grit and optimism will get you far. Yeah, when I'm and I'm a true. I just believe that that you can just about do anything if you if you if you put enough effort into it. And I and I I was never disappointed in the Coast Guard in that score. Uh, and and I'm, that's a I know that's you know a pretty bold statement, but I but I but I mean that sincerely. I, you know, and it doesn't mean that everything I came, every idea I came up with was a good one. I mean, right. you know, but uh, but it but the things that I really put effort behind that that others saw value in that or that others were doing that I saw value in and I jumped on board, um, I saw amazing things happen. Wow. Awesome. Awesome. All right, Admiral, shifting gears a bit to influencer. You, you mm -hmm. mentioned uh, Admiral Stewart was influential for you early on. Uh, any other individuals stick out to you? And maybe tell us why. Sure. Um, I mean, there's a number and we can all pick the, the senior people, uh, you know, the uh, Admiral Gracie was coming in as commandant uh, just when I was commissioned, and uh, he was making a trip around districts of the Coast Guard as part of his, you know, first year as commandant, and, and so I was assigned as his um, temporary aide when he visited the 8th Coast Guard District. This mm -hmm. was in the spring of, uh, I guess it was, well, it would have been right after May, because it's a commandant change of command is always in the end of May, so it would have been June time frame in uh, New Orleans. Uh, so I'd been down there for about five months at the time, and and he was uh, he was just a wonderful guy. It was back in the day. I don't think co commandants traveled with aides as much as they do, you know, did later. But uh, mm -hmm. because I was his temporary aide, mm -hmm. and uh, and he's the one who just uh, he kind of reinforced. He and he and Admiral Stewart were apparently quite quite good friends, and he reinforced an awful lot of what he said. He said, "Look, uh, you." I know you're not happy about this job in, in district reserve. He says, but look at me, I don't even have a cutterman's pin. He said, mm. and I'm a commandant on the Coast Guard. He said, <laughs> he said, something like that never happened before. He wow. said, until it does. Wow. He said, so it's only a job that'll ruin your career until it's not a job that'll ruin your career. He said, so let's just have fun. Drive, let's fly around and take a look at the Coast Guard. So I, I, I just, so I like those kind of people. But I tell you, the, 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 probably the most impressive person I ever knew was a, was a chief uh, machinery technician, a guy named Tim Davison. Um, he was on the Gallatin. He, he was the auxiliary division chief. And I, when I was a student engineer, um, one of my collaterals was um, auxiliary division chief, um, head of auxiliary division. Right. So I was, I was auxiliary and engineering supply. And so auxiliary, um, as everyone knows, is everything outside the engine room. So it's everything from small boats and generators to, to you know, toilets and sewage systems. Um, uh, but, but Chief Davison was this wonderful, um, talented, but kind of classic, right out of a, a casting series, you know, Chief Petty Officer. <laughs> right. He had more, so, yeah, and he had just like, he had this big beard back when we could grow beards. He was a big Irishman and um, a big guy. And he had all sorts of random tattoos all over him. Uh, and, uh, but, and he was a little gruff, but but a great guy, funny as all get out. And I'll never forget, the most, the most impressive thing he ever did was something that he did for me, and that's something I asked him to do. We were in a in port somewhere in the Caribbean. I don't, don't recall now where, but it was just a just a, like a, a one-day port call. It was We were in for fuel and supplies and 
and um, and and the like. We'd had we were having some trouble with uh, an emergency gas turbine generator, which is um, you know which was uh, the emergency generator in the event you lost all, all you know normal ships power, normal mm -hmm. ships generators. And it was a, a gas turbine, and it was, and and again, it was a problem with the starter motor. So I thought we were in port for about eight hours, and I thought, well, you know, we might have time to get that taken care of. So I, I went to Chief Davis and I said, "Hey, Chief," I said, "I think we can swap out that starter motor on the on the emergency gas turbine." And he goes, "He goes, yeah, Mr. <laughs> Neffinger, I don't think that's a good idea." He said, "He goes." He says, I know it says it's only going to take about an hour to do it, he said, but my experience tells me these things always go wrong. Mm. And uh, so I pushed him and we did it. And, and he said, he said, but if you want to do it, he said, I'll do it. I said, yeah, I think we should. And, mm. uh, but this is a no sale item if it doesn't work. Right. Uh, well, anyways, you can know where this story is going. We did, we, we, we didn't, we <laughs> didn't get right. it fixed. Yeah, he was right. And, uh, and, uh, and, oh man, everybody was mad that. EO was mad, CO was mad, everybody was mad, XO was mad, um, and um, you know the the ops guys were mad because they couldn't chase things that they wanted to chase and all the yeah. other business. And uh, so I was uh, I I was wandering up to the um, engineering <laughs> office to turn myself in, and, and I got in there and I saw Chief Davidson was getting yelled at by the EO, and the EO was saying, "He goes, what the hell were you thinking?" He said, "He said, you know, you got 22 years of service. He goes, you didn't know any better than to take down a you know a critical piece of gear, you know, when when we had to sail eight hours later." And the Chief goes, "Yeah," he goes, "I just he goes, I just." kind of think I'm better than I am sometimes. You know, mm -hmm. Boss, he said, uh, he said, I won't let it happen again. And he goes, you better not let it happen again. And so I, I walked in in the middle of that conversation and, and I said, I said, whoa, 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 wait a second. What's going on here? I said, I said, I'm the guy who told him to take it apart. And I said, so this is my fault. Um, not, it's not, not the chief's fault. And, um, and the EO looks at me and goes, he goes, don't you try to take the blame for your chief. He said, you just take, you just take this chief and get him in and get him squared away. Don't let it ever happen again. I said, I said, seriously, no, I said, he's, he's making this up. He said, I'm telling you, he said, stop, take, stop, stop standing up for your chief. You just get back there and get that gear up. So we walked out wow. and I said, chief, I said, what, the, what was that all about? I said, I said, why, why did you tell him you did it? And he looked at me and he said, he goes, you know, he says, because he doesn't, he's, he's not going to hurt me. He likes me. I've served with him before. He said, he goes, he's, he's not really mad at me. He's, he's a little annoyed. He said, but you, he said, he'll kill you. He said, <laughs> he said, wow, that's not going to happen. He said, I'm not going to let that happen. He said, but if you ever do it again, he said, I will kill you. He said, now let's go get that thing fixed. Wow. And, and that to me was, wow. uh, you know, to this day, the most impressive thing that ever happened to me by another person, by somebody junior to me, you know, he, um, you know, and I think I looked at it and he thought, okay, uh, and I'm giving myself the benefit of the doubt here. He probably looked and he says, okay, he's not a total idiot, but, but he was an idiot on this score. And I, and I don't want him to get destroyed over this. Um, I'm pretty much, much untouchable because I'm a chief petty officer. I got 22 years of service and wow. he says, I'm probably going to retire in a couple of years anyhow. So let me, let me keep him from getting killed, but make sure that he never does it again. And, uh, and I thought that was the, you know, that was the example to me of that. It's about, it's not about me. You know, mm -hmm. it's about, it's about taking care of all of us. So that guy, epitom you know, Chief Davison, Tim Davison, you know, he epitomized this idea that you take care of the people around you. And so mm -hmm. I never forgot that. You know, I thought, wow. you know, that's pretty, that's, that was, that was one of those things that, you know, people just don't do for each other anywhere else. So that, right. 
things like that keep you around because you say, wow, I, I don't want to leave people like that. Those are great people. That story warms my heart just to hear Chief Petty Officer when you think the epitome of our senior enlisted. That's that's it right there. All right, Admiral, I want to talk about something called sponsorship. You don't talk about mm-hmm. a lot in the Coast Guard. It's basically the act of bringing someone specific along up in our organization, advocating for specific billets or opportunities to put them in the best position for upward mobility. Do you think sponsorship exists in the Coast Guard? If so, how? You know, it does, Lushan, but it doesn't exist, uh, in my opinion, in, a, in, in as defined a way as it, as it, as it could. Uh, and that's not for lack of attempts by the organization to figure out, you know, how do you build? I mean, for a while it was called mentorship, and then it was called sponsorship, and there were some requirements to be mentors or sponsors to others. Uh, but we never, we never did a good job, and I, and, I, and I take some responsibility for this because I was a senior officer for a number of the last years of my career. Uh, we never did a very good job of explaining what that means. Mm-hmm. And so, so it's, it's still pretty ad hoc. That said, uh, it's critically important. Uh, if you know, gr- any good leader you know, needs to be thinking about how he or she takes care of the people below them. I mean, it's, 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 it's essentially what taking care of others is all about. Mm-hmm. And, and sponsorship doesn't just go to the, to the ones that you think are the best and the brightest. I mean, that's obviously that's important, but it really goes to everybody. You should be, you know, I, I always figured I, I had to sponsor everyone who works with me and for mm-hmm. me, particularly the ones who work for you. You know, it's not enough to just say, geez, Lushan, I think you're pretty smart. I'm going to see what I can do for you. I mean, mm-hmm. There's some of that, I mean, and you want to, you certainly want to, you want to advance the, the the people who have the most capability because they're the ones that that really lead the Coast Guard. You want to find those people who have, you know, the kinds of the kinds of ideas and 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 impact and move them forward. But you but you want to bring with them all the rest of the people of the organization that are necessary to get it done. You know, again, we don't we don't thrive as an organization. The Coast Guard isn't great because you have one or two great leaders. The Coast Guard is great because you've got this phenomenal, you know, body of people with with all these varying skills and capabilities and and approaches. And uh, and and I, I I tell you, it's rare that you find anybody in the Coast Guard who who isn't pulling their, you know, pulling their weight and giving it their all mm-hmm. every now and then. But uh, but 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 for the most part, you've got a, an organization full of real high performers. So, so what I always wanted to see was some means of just building this notion of sponsoring others into the very notion of leadership, into the mm-hmm. whole, into the culture of the organization. I think it's kind of there already. We just don't, we just don't identify it in a way that makes it easy to get your hands around it when you're in leadership positions. And we sometimes, as leaders, get way too involved in our inbox. You know, I always tell people, you know, that. If, if you're spending your whole day just emptying your inbox, you can feel really productive and get very little done. Mm-hmm. You really need to be looking kind of out. And, and, the, and the more senior you get, the, the, the bigger the horizon is you have to pay attention to. And, uh, and the more people between you and the horizon are the, to kind of get the day-to-day stuff done. So your job is to kind of keep an eye on everybody and make sure that nobody's being left behind. And so I always tried to make it a point to to look for the people who, who weren't the, the ones that were that were immediately identifiable, the ones that were raising their hands and, 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 you know, see what, what their, what their potential was. Wow. And sometimes you, 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 you can be surprised how you take that quietest person in the room right. and they can become 
one of the most um, important people on your team. Right. So I think sponsorship is really important, and I think we, you know, as an organization, as a as a as a as a service, um, I think I think there's still work to be done on on helping to understand what that means. My fear is that sponsorship turns into can I identify the one or two people who are really good and help them get someplace? That's important, but you can't forget about everybody else. Right. You know, go back to Chief Davison. That's right. a good example. Chief Davison. We had this young fireman on board. Actually, an FA, uh, so he's right out of boot camp, and 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 he was a pretty inept guy. You know, I mean, he was he would he wasn't he just wasn't mechanically experienced. I'll put it that mm-hmm. way. It's not that he wasn't mechanically inclined, but if you you know if you've never worked with a grinding wheel or a lathe or anything like that, it's not these things aren't necessarily intuitive. Right. And I'll never forget uh, one day um, I was just I just happened to be walking through the machine shop at Gallatin, and I see Chief Davison, you know, yank this young fireman away from the grinding wheel because he had been standing there sharpening, for whatever reason, he decided he would sharpen a, a screwdriver, uh, which is, well, one, it's, you can do it. You don't do right. it. It's not a good idea to do it on a grinding wheel. And it's definitely right. not a, do it, a good idea to do it with the tip pointing up towards the oh. direction of the wheel. So, so fortunately, no, 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 nobody got hurt. But, okay, um, but I remember Davis, and he started yelling at him at first. He's like, you know, some version of, you know, what in the world were you thinking? And then, and then he stopped himself, and he thought, he said, you know what? He goes, yelling at you is not going to help you understand this. He said, I'm going to back up. He said, still know that I'm mad at you, and still know that all that yelling was, was appropriate. He said, but now let's talk about how you do this the right way. And it was really, you know, so that to me is, is as wow. much sponsorship as anything. Wow. Because it's saying, you know, I'm going to figure out whether you've got any potential here right. uh, and I'm going to do it in a way that gives you every opportunity to succeed. And then if you don't succeed, then, you know, then, then we'll deal with that when we come right. along. So that's how I interpret those kinds of things. Right. So I think, I think as, as, as a leader at any level, your job is to look around you and to help, you know, if you just ask yourself this question, how can I make that person succeed? Then, then it, it, Lots of other things start to flow naturally. Then you say, "Okay, how do I make you succeed?" Well, first of all, I find out what you're capable of and what, what you know, what you need to, what you need, what kind of help you need, and uh, and then I can, and then I steer you towards the things. And at some point, you you know, there's a you know, you either activate or you don't. And um, but but you've done everything you can to help that person. All right. So I want to talk a bit about your latter years in the Coast Guard, where your district commander, sector commander. Vice Admiral, you've got a lot of folks underneath you. Um, mm-hmm. When you think about those younger generation of Coasties that worked for you, were there any particular things that inspired you about them? Oh, God, always. You know, I mean, I, I really, the thing I loved about the Coast Guard, and honestly, the thing I've missed since I've left is, is you know, this, this wave, this continuous wave of new ideas that, uh, that, are, that are constantly coming into the organization. And uh, and the and and the enthusiasm and um, and excitement that people bring with it. So, you know, just about the time you think, ah, I'm old, I'm jaded, uh, you know, I've seen everything. Somebody comes along and uh, like you, for example, and and you you think, holy cow, that's a great idea. Uh, so I always loved the the energy and and in in my case, kind of that 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 rejuvenation I would feel uh, being around. Uh, younger ideas coming in, so so that part was fun for me, um, and I and I loved uh, the this idea that that all of our jobs is to is to 
take care of the organization for the period of time we're part of it and to nurture those coming behind you because you know, at the risk of, I used to make this joke about, it's like those, it's like one of those moving walkways at the, at the airport, you know, you get to a certain point, you get, you get to the flag rank level and, and you can hear that, that voice saying the moving walkway is coming to an end. <laughs> and, and so, so you better make sure there's a bunch of people behind you because it's just, right. it, it ain't going to work too well if they don't, if right. you don't have people behind you. And the only way the people behind you can do it is if you give them the, if you kind of, you know, stay as excited as they are about things. Um, and so I tried to remember the things that people made, you know, gave me encouragement for, and you try to encourage the same thing, uh, and, and let people, I, I love people to try things, even if, even if it failed, very rarely does failure result in something irreversible. There are some times when failure is absolutely not an option, but for the most part, you know, you look out the window and you say, yeah, I don't see anybody in the water today, so we could try this and, and, we, <laughs> wow. and it might be okay. Uh, yeah. but, um, but yeah, so I, I, I love the fact that, that it is a young organization because it, it's full of ideas and it's a, and it's an organization that has to solve problems every day. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, you, it, uh, the, the fact that we're operationally focused and that we have, we got to do something every single day. You know, the Coast Guard has no garrison. We right. are, we are fully deployed at all times, fully engaged. Right. And so that drives a, this, this entrepreneurial way of thinking and this very creative way of thinking and it's a small organization so you don't have you don't have a lot of depth you know we 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 have one person doing jobs that four or five people do in the other services because right. we just don't have the luxury of the people um, and and it creates a it creates kind of this really creative you know entrepreneurial approach to 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 getting the job done and it creates this sense of we're all in this together we can make this work you know i always like to hate that's going to be hard, but I think we can do it. And and I always I always loved that. You know, there was a way to make something work. If you, if you didn't have a part, you made the part. If you didn't, if you couldn't figure out how to do one thing. You 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 got a bunch of people together until you could figure out how to do right. it. So right. so that's what's fun. And and you get that kind of excitement with young people. And and I like the fact that even even the rank structure in the Coast Guard. I, I used to tell friends of mine that 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 it it may be the it, it, it looks rigid and hierarchical. I said, I used to say, that's just so we keep people like you from joining the Coast Guard because we, we're having too much fun. But, uh, <laughs> but, but what it really does, it, it, creates, it creates defined responsibilities. But I've always liked the fact that the Coast Guard was pretty flat when it came to ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, Admiral Allen was famous for saying, look, if, if, if I've got a, a recruit at boot camp who's got a good idea, he, and, they, and he sends it to me on the back of a napkin, he said, I'm going to take it. Wow. So, so I, that's what, to me, the best of the Coast Guard is the people who say it's, it's wherever the idea comes is what matters. Right. And, um, and I don't care what level it is. And you look at stuff that came out of the innovation program and things that have come out of um, uh, people, you know, putting new cutters to sea and understanding how the capabilities, you know, how to use these new capabilities. An awful lot of that comes from the deck plate, not from, mm-hmm. not from the top of the organization. Yeah, most definitely. Now, conversely, um, anything you notice from the younger Coasties that maybe slightly concerns you? Well, you know, you sent me that question earlier and I was thinking about it. And and it's here's what I would say. It's the same thing that's always concerned me about people who are new to an organization. Um, Impatience. Mm. You know, it's you got to know you got to understand the animal that you're that you're part of, you know, understand the ecosystem you're part of. You're it's going to take a certain period of time to, to get promoted. It's just the way it works. Right. And, um, 
and 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 nothing that you can do, you know. I mean, you can accelerate it slightly. There are still deep selections periodically and so forth, but um, but but you just have to take some time. And and in an operational agency, as I look back over my career, that time is invaluable. I mean, mm -hmm. those years you spend at any given rank are really valuable years to to become a professional and to become really good at what you do. You know. I don't want people accelerating through training um, to the point where they aren't actually as qualified as they need to be or they aren't mm -hmm. as experienced as they need to be. Uh, you want people to have seen lots and lots and lots and lots of different events and, and, and activities and responses and actions and operational um, um, and operations so that, so that they, they are ready if something goes wrong. I mean, it's no different than if you're, if you're, you know, if you're training to be a pilot or you're training to be an athlete or whatever. You want, you want to have experienced as many different kinds of you know, things that can happen and can go wrong as possible because when you're in charge, it's going to be you. you know? When right. you're the sector commander or the captain of the port or the, or the district commander, there's nobody to turn around and go, what do you think? You know? right. Because they're all looking at you and they go, what do you think? Or you find yourself named as the you know, deputy national incident commander for the big oil spill, as, as right. I did. And then and everybody looks at you and go, what are we going to do? But you know, it's, if you haven't figured it out by then, that's not a good time to find out that you really don't know. Uh, so, right. so I think impatience is one. Okay. Second is this idea that, that, there's a, that there's a right career path. Mm. Uh, it, uh, my career, uh, quite honestly, was all over the board. And I mean, I, you, you have to get good at something. I mean, so I, I think I got good operationally at, at a couple key types of things. You know, the Marine Safety Program, uh, the the group operations world. So that those are my two real specialties. And then and then and then, you know, this policy making international affairs piece. So those are you know, that's kind of the worlds that I spent my career in. But within that, you know, you can. It's amazing. And you take any senior person's career, and they look, and everyone looks slightly different. Mm -hmm. There are a few that follow what somebody might define as a as a as a, you know ideal career path, but they're, but, but they're more the exception in my experience than the rule, mm. you know? Now, if you're going to be a cutterman, okay, there's a, there's a pretty, it's pretty clear you're going to bounce from ship to ship to ship, but, but right. those short commands in between can be really interesting. I mean, look right. at, you know, uh, Rear Admiral Fears' background, you know, there's a guy who's, who's, who's had, you know, probably as many assignments outside the Coast Guard as in the Coast Guard, mm -hmm. and yet is at, you know, one of the senior levels. So, so, what I tell people do, I say, look across the Coast Guard at all the different kinds of things people do, and then realize that you really should be looking for the things that that, that excite you, that activate the, your your best talents, that challenge you the most, that give you the most um, intellectual reward and physical reward, if that's what you're after, and all the other business. And then don't worry about your career because if you're if you're having fun, if you're doing a good job, remember what I said earlier. There's no bad job in the Coast Guard. There's just people who don't do things with jobs, right. and and any job can be can be the job that gets you um, to wherever you're going to go. But 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 just know that we're an operating agency first and foremost. So you got to get really good at some things, you know. But in between, you can wrap all sorts of stuff around it. So so so. 
long answer to your question, but, but the things that, that distress me when I see in, in, in junior people or young people is, is this notion that I got to hurry my way to, to senior status because I, I want the pay, I want the responsibility, I want the whatever, or there's a right career and a wrong career. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think both are, are, are the wrong way to think about it. What you really ought to say is, wow, what opportunities am I going to have now that I'm a lieutenant junior grade or right. now that I'm a lieutenant? Or now that I'm a lieutenant commander, I I never really I, I say this and everybody goes yeah bull that's a bunch <laughs> of crap but I say I never really did think about too much about the next rank I really thought about what can I do as a lieutenant I I, I mean I looked at all the lieutenant jobs and thought wow these are some really cool jobs and I never felt hindered or held back by by my rank at any given level. Hmm. Um, I mean, it didn't stop me from trying to build an American Samoa Marine Patrol. It didn't stop right. me from, you know, asking for certain things. Uh, and I never really worried about whether I was or wasn't in charge. I actually didn't, I mean, I didn't want to be the captain when I was a lieutenant. I was having a lot more fun than what the captain looked like he was right. having. <laughs> and, uh, and when I was a lieutenant commander, I didn't want to be the commander because a lieutenant commander was having a lot of fun. So, so I say just, you know, enjoy the moments that you have and, and get as much as you can from it, you know, go to schools and get training and take advantage of the opportunity to travel uh, because, you know, that start, does start to go away after a while. You, right. know, you spend more time behind desks than, than, yep. than, than not uh, as you get more senior. Uh, but your opportunities when you get to the senior level are, are much more interesting if you've done a lot of these different things and taking your time. So. Wow. Um, so my next question, a lot of people may hang on every word of your answer here just for, to be forewarned, uh, <laughs> right. want to talk about making flag. Right? Oh, jeez, so yeah. By the by, the time you know you get to 06, there's a ton of high performers. Um, from what I've been told, it's a very nuanced process. It's very um, granular. The distinguishing factors, um, and there's so many variables to consider. Um, could you maybe share with us kind of what you've seen, what are those distinguishing variables of, of potential flag officers, the people that actually cross that threshold? Yeah, well, the, the first thing I'll say is, if you're below the rank of 06, don't think about flag officer. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's, one, it's so far away, mm -hmm. even if you're a senior commander, that it's not worth wasting a lot of your time. Really think about how, you know, doing your job. Right. And, and getting really good at what you do and doing all those things we've just talked about that make for an exciting, rewarding, um, challenging, uh, intellectually stimulating career or all the things that make you interesting to the Coast Guard. So, so, so below that rank, I mean, I, I used to have, you know, I would have ensigns ask me when I was a flag <laughs> officer, what's it take to become an admiral? And I wow. said, you know, really seriously, that's not a question you need to ask right now. Um, and I said, I said, and be, to be honest, I can't, you know, if I were an ensign, I couldn't tell you what it took as an ensign to become a flag officer. Right. You know, it's, it's, it, it's a progression over time. But if you're, a, if you're at the 06 level and, 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 and you think you want to be flag officer. Well, first of all, I, I, I'll say a couple things. That, a rule I used to give myself that I didn't always follow. I'd say, I used to say, the day I worry about, the day I try to take a job to get promoted is a day I should leave the Coast Guard. Mm -hmm. Because it means I stopped doing all those things I said were the reasons I joined the Coast Guard, which was, you know, it's not about me. It's about, the, it's about, it's about what we accomplished together. It's about the mission and all those other things. So, so if I, the day I say, Ooh, I better take job X because that'll probably position me better for flag. 
then suddenly, what have I done? I've made it about me, and I've made it not about others, but about, about how I can do something in a way that keeps somebody else from getting promoted, right. or, or by definition would do that. So, so I say that, but you know, you can't help it. You get to be, you get to be a, a captain after a certain number of years, and you wonder, hmm, I wonder what it would take to make flag. And, uh, and so what I did is, you know, I, I was in CG82, which is the budget and programs office, uh, when I got selected for flag. I got selected in the supplemental board uh, that year. So, the, so the, the regular flag board met in the in the summertime. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was uh, I was at twenty five years, so I hadn't come up for captain's continuation yet. I actually wasn't expecting to get to get selected for for flag that year because I hadn't even come up for continuation yet. And um, but I was coming up on on the end of my assignment, and so I found myself talking to a detailer about jobs that I should take that would make that would keep me competitive for flag and I I remember I went home and I thought holy cow I'm doing exactly what I said I'd never do wow. I'm, wow. I'm, uh, so so I really I thought about I went in and I talked to Admiral Allen he was a commandant and I said you know I think I've had a fantastic career and and I think it's probably I probably ought to retire because I'm finding myself worrying about making flag officer and um, and I and I told myself I I when I if I got to the point where I you know where I was thinking about that all the time it was probably time to go uh, because I might not be I might not be focused on the Coast Guard anymore and and he said he goes you're not allowed to think about that yet you know how he is <laughs> and uh, what I didn't know was there was a supplemental board uh, being planned and I got I got, I, did, I did get picked up in a supplemental board so I so honestly Luson I never had to actually confront that because mm-hmm. because that answer came to me after you know. Um, uh, without without me, so I don't know exactly what would I have retired or would I have taken you know would I have taken the job to become a flag officer? I was looking at things like chief of staff positions and so forth. Right. And um, but the experience of going through that, um, uh, and then and then later sitting on flag selection panels, mm-hmm. um, gave me some insight into you know sort of what is it you look for in a flag officer. So I'll give you some thoughts on that. And, and, and the, I caveat it by saying any of these thoughts I give suddenly become somebody out there sits and writes it down and says, I got to do these things. Right, to make, right, to make of course. <laughs> um, but so I, I spent a lot of time looking for those intangibles that you talked about earlier, you know, cause, because quite honestly, you know, by the time you make 06, with very few exceptions, everybody looks pretty far to the right. You know, right. we... You know, it's not it, and it's not ranking or grade inflation. Or I mean, um, um, OER inflation that gets you there. It's that it's that we've got a pretty good process of getting the best and the brightest to very senior levels mm-hmm. in the Coast Guard. So almost every captain you look at looks pretty good. So you sit down on the board and you think, geez, you know, if I can select six flag officers, I got about thirty-five people here who could easily be a flag officer. Right. And um, so so it's a it, clearly it's more than just what you've accomplished. So then you start saying, what is the service? So, so then you think, okay, I can't, it's going to be hard to pick from the person. So let me think from the services perspective. And this is really when I go back to this idea that, that the, the Coast Guard has to survive and it has to survive in its best possible way. Mm-hmm. Because if it doesn't survive in its best possible way, it doesn't provide the best possible service to the public. If that makes any sense, makes sense. And and so so when I say best possible way, you want the best possible mix of talents and creativity. So 
I'll use an absurd example. You don't need, you know, you don't need 41 flag officers to all be mechanics, you know, right. because that's probably not going to help you out. You need, you need, you need, you need flag officers that represent as as close as possible, given that you have that this very small community of people, the the range of expertise, capabilities, and 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 operational demands, um, and experience with operational demands as you can get. And so the first thing you do as an organization is say, what do I, what do I need? You know? And there's some very simple things you need. You got to have lawyers. You got to mm -hmm. have you got to have a lawyer. You probably have to have an intel officer if you've got one. You've got to have you got to have aviation engineers. You got to have acquisition professionals. You've got to have um, you've got to have uh, um, you know all those other things. Uh, right. So 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 that allows you to begin to bucket some people mm -hmm. and say, all right, who out there has got the operational experience I need? Um, whether it's whether it's you know. Uh, surface operations or aviation operations or so forth. Who out there has acquisition background and at what levels do they have it? So, so part of it is really just a sorting game initially. Mm -hmm. So you take, you take your, your range of people eligible or in the promotion zone or, or eligible to be considered for promotion. And the first thing you do is you kind of, you kind of sort through and say, Hey, who do I have? Do I have the kinds of categories of people I need? Right. And, uh, and sometimes it, it really comes down to maybe I've only got three people who fit the bill of what I desperately need. Because we have some statutory requirements to have people with certain qualifications in certain positions. Mm -hmm. You know, in the acquisition world, by law, you have to have people with certain types of qualifications and mm -hmm. the requisite background. And sometimes there are years when you just you don't have many of those. Right. So, so in reality, maybe if you've got that background, you might have a better opportunity to get promoted. Mm -hmm. So. So the reason I say that is because is that goes back to becoming a true professional at what you do. The you know the the more skilled you are at whatever your field of endeavor of of, of expertise is in the Coast Guard, the more competitive you will be at a senior level should you choose to be competitive. Right. Because Thanks. it makes you it, you know so so when I say become a true professional, if you're in the acquisition world, you should you should aspire to gain all the qualifications and accreditations and certifications you can. Uh, not the least of which is because that makes you much better at what you do. Mm -hmm. But if you have, if you, you know, if there's a piece of you that says, gee, in the best of all worlds, if I, if I were stuck around long enough, I'd like to become a flag officer. Well, it's, it, it just gives you, you know, more opportunity that you're, that you are going to be in that top group of people that gets looked at. So, mm -hmm. so, and, and like I said, I know people are writing this all down, but, 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 <laughs> But I, I caveat that all by saying it's it's probably it's not super healthy to focus on whether I do or don't become a flag officer. Right. I, I mean, I've seen sad examples of people who who did not get selected for flag and they've left bitter. And yeah. and it's and it I, I I've never understood that yeah. um, marriage is broken, kids don't know them. Yeah, and okay. it's and what's was it worth it? And, and 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 it goes back, you know, it almost you can trace it back to the individuals who sat around at the ensign, JG, and lieutenant level and tried to map out their career. And, and, and in fact, I, I remember one officer said, you know, I, got, I took every one of the right jobs for my career and I didn't, get made, I didn't make flag. And I, I said, you know, it's, it's, it, it's, it's more than that. Um, right. it's, and it goes back to it's not about you, you know? It's about, it's about what, what does the, what if, what value do you bring to the team that is called the United States Coast Guard? Uh, yeah, it's a it's about you because it's you, but but it's not 
but but you gotta you gotta realize it's also about you as part of this larger organization and uh, and I you know I don't know I I I don't sure that 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 gives people satisfying answers you know, they, you know there's there's no magic to making right. flag right. and there's no Timing secret sauce mean, right. There's no, there's no, uh, there's no right. But, but if there's a, if there's any secret to it, is it starts with you being the best possible, you know, um, capable Coast Guard officer you can be. That's that's where it starts with. And 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 paradoxically, paradoxically, the it's the people who least care about making flag generally that usually find themselves as, as the flag officer. I can tell you the number of people who call and say, "How did this happen to me?" <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and you know, you you kind of joke around. You go, well, you know, we could take it away. And you, no, right. no, 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 I'm good. But uh, but uh, but but I've always I've always enjoyed the people, and it always makes you feel good that okay, I think we got the right ones. When right. when when you had people say, you know, why didn't so and so make it? Why didn't right. I make it? Right. And and it's because these are people who spent their career not thinking about themselves, but thinking about you know what they could do around. I mean, I, I, I'll never forget. And I you know, this one wonderful uh, person who was a flag officer who said, um, who actually tried to say, he said, look, I, I, you just, this, I, I, you should promote this other person, not me. I'm, I'm really not the right person. And it wasn't one of these, I can't do it. It was more, I, um, um, I just don't, I just think these other people are, are so good. So mm. I really, I, that was wow. always impressive to me. So, wow. so what I would say is, first of all, don't even think about it. You know, when you're when you're junior, I mean, you might look at it, but I'll be honest with you. You know, I looked at admirals, and they were so far away and so old that I had no interest in anything about those guys. You know, and um, I, we used to joke when I was a flag officer. I said, you know, you could send all of us into a dungeon for six months, and it would take a while before people figured we were gone, <laughs> and, uh, because you don't need admirals to run the coast guard. You know, you need, I mean, you need, so because you got people out there that can do coast guard all day right. long. Right. So, so you know, what the flag officers do is something very different. They really think about sort of where's the Coast Guard going? Where do you take all this capability that is the Coast Guard and point it? Right. Um, and um, oh, wow. So, so Thank I, you for uh, that. and there's plenty of time for that to, to worry about that. Just you know, if you're if you're you know under 20 years in the Coast Guard, you got to be you got to be thinking about what it is to be in the Coast Guard and just go continue to have fun doing the Coast Guard stuff. And and you know, if it, if flag comes along, that's a great opportunity and it's a it's a short-lived opportunity. You know, the, the longest flag officers are typically seven years. Uh, every now and then, you'll stick around a little bit longer, but uh, but but you're four to seven years, and then and then that's it. So, um, so it's a very tiny piece of your career uh, of what was an otherwise you know long and interesting. Wow. Great advice. Puts it in perspective. Thank yeah. you, sir. All right. So earlier we talked about sponsorship. Uh, I want to talk about something else that we don't really talk about a lot in the Coast Guard is peer-to-peer mentoring. So the folks mm-hmm. that uh, came in, your session source, your classmates, your, they're the same pay grade uh, that maybe become your network as you grow up in the organization. How important was that aspect for you? You know, oh, for me, it was critical. I, um, you know, and I say it from this standpoint, you know, I, I, I didn't go to the academy. So, uh, you know, I, I didn't, I don't have, you know, a, a, um, a, a class, classmates, if you will. I don't have a cadre. I, I, I don't have that socialization of people that, that you know, that, that you grow up with in the Coast Guard. Uh, in a lot of ways, for me, that was, that was a, a liberating experience because I think it, it, it allowed 
it allowed me to some extent to be less confined by by norms that might have been established over the course of a four-year academy background. Mm-hmm. And I don't say that as a as a as a um, as any kind of a criticism. It's just it's just an is for me. I mean, I, I think that um, you know you don't it, when you're when you're not when you're of a small group of people from outside you know where the bulk of officers come from. Uh, you're not easily categorized, and it makes it easier uh, than mm-hmm. you know in terms of finding a peer group. So your peer group can be lots of different things. It doesn't necessarily have to be your a year group that mm-hmm. is your peer group. Your peer group becomes kind of the people that you're socializing with just in the normal course of, of day-to-day stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that said, I, I, there were a couple people you know in my uh, officer candidate school class that were my that were lifelong um, friends and connections, and that um, uh, for whom um, together, you know, uh, we, we, we formed, uh, I think, a, a really important, um, you know, cohort of our own as we came through, and, and a support group, if you will, and, and people to bounce ideas off of that, that, um, that, would, that, would, that would be supportive of your, of your concerns and your interests and, um, and, and some of your challenges, uh, and you could do it in a way that wasn't threatening. So it's really important to have mm-hmm. people, you know, in and around your same age and pay and or pay group to just kick ideas around with that right. um, that 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 don't necessarily have a judgment around you uh, that 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 aren't going to that aren't going to evaluate you and 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 see you as somebody who doesn't have their you know act together. Why are you coming to me with all these problems? You know, right. don't, no don't get it. Don't take care of it. Yeah. Right. So it's it's just kind of nice to have people that you can just hang out with and and, right. and not be judged by. And sometimes that's not that's not necessarily the people that you were you were you know getting yelled at in boot camp or, or OCS or or the academy with it could be the person that you are, are standing duty with uh, mm-hmm. so so when you say peer to peer sometimes peer to peer you can have a number of years of you know dif- distance between the two of you you know I would have considered Chief Davison uh, a peer to peer relationship in a sense because we we actually became very close mm-hmm. uh, over the course of the two years we served together on the Gallatin and uh, despite the fact that I guess he technically worked for me. I, I probably more worked for him than he worked for me. But, uh, right. but, but more importantly, we were, we were, we would sit and you know, you know, everything from what are we going to do today to, you know, how's uh, how's things with your with your girlfriend going? You know that right. kind of stuff. You know, simple yeah. stuff that stuff that 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 turns people in into more than just coworkers. So yeah, so I think peer to peer is important. If you you know, it's again, it's. It goes back to what makes uh, an organization like the Coast Guard, in my mind, so so fascinating and interesting and enjoyable. Is it? Is it? I'm I'm a very social person, so I I enjoyed the fact that that you had friendships and connections that developed with people that were far deeper than just you know can we get this job done today? Right. Right. Wow. Well, we're nearing the end here. Unfortunately, I've just thoroughly enjoyed our our discussion here. Um, is there a question you wish I would have asked you? Any any closing thoughts for our listeners? Oh, I don't know, Sean. You you covered a lot of good territory here. I um I I, I tell you, I really appreciate uh, your approach to this. Uh, I and I like the thoughtfulness of your questions. The um, I I don't think there's a, a question that you miss. I think we we covered we covered a lot. I probably talked far more than you needed me to. Uh, but um, but I. I, I would just double back to some of the things we said before. It, it's really, it's really important to think about leadership. You know, leadership is one of those 
intangibles. Uh, you know, not everybody is a great leader, but everyone can be better at leadership. And it starts by, uh, by, by thinking about the other people, people around you, by, by, by recognizing that, that not everyone is going to be a mirror of you, Mm -hmm. uh, the, that that you don't want everybody to mirror, mirror, be a mirror of you. I mean, because if they are, then then somebody's unnecessary in the room. You know, if they just look like you, uh, that that that. And then the other thing you have to watch for, really watch carefully for people trying to please you, because that's what we that's what we're trained to do. You know, make the you know is is don't get in trouble. I you know, everyone's been so afraid of of OERs during my time. I can't tell you how stressful that was for most of my peers coming up, you know, and uh, I honestly, I just never worried about it. You know, one, you know, I always had, uh, for lack of a I always had, you know, lazy supervisors who made me write my own OER. And, um, and so I always wrote these fantastic OERs for myself. I thought, you know, if you're gonna ask me to write an OER, then I'm just gonna put down that I'm the, the best person that ever lived. <laughs> and I'll never forget, I just one boss. He said, he goes, what is this? He said, what? He said, this is ridiculous. I said, well, you said write the OER I want. I said, so I did. And, uh, and, and I, what I found is that one, it was a subtle way of saying, you know, look, why don't you, why don't you add some of your own thoughts in here? Right, right. Uh, and I wasn't trying to be nasty about it, but, um, but I always felt that as a supervisor, it was my responsibility to, you know, to, to try to evaluate people, but not to do, but not to surprise them with something. So, so work with people over the course of a year. The OER just is just this. It's just the means we have of of presenting you to a to a board of people that you're not going to know until after the board meets. You know who it was, and they may or may not know anything about you. Uh, the most important thing is is hey, am I connected uh, with? leadership on the priorities and the, and the things that we need to get done today. And if not, you know, how can I better connect? So I, I think it's really important that as a leader, you pay really a close attention to the message you send. You send a, you know, people watch leaders. You, you, you cast a very large shadow. Be careful what's inside that shadow because they will do the things that you indicate are important to you. Mm -hmm. uh, and they watch you. You know, if you think you're not being watched, just think about how much you watch people above you. We, People leave jobs not typically because of any other reason than that they had, a, they had a crappy boss. And so don't be a crappy boss. Don't be one of those horrible people that, that everybody goes, geez, I hope I never see that person again in my entire <laughs> career. Uh, and we all can think of those examples. You know, and I, always, I often thought the worst possible you know, um, stories were the ones about, God, that guy was a real, you know, he kicked my butt this way from sideways. You know, I learned a lot, but it was really tough working for him. That's up. You know, I, I never wanted to work for somebody like that. I mean, mm -hmm. who wants to work for somebody you're afraid of, who's yelling at you, who who stifles creativity and who makes you afraid to 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 challenge them? So, encourage people to challenge you. When they do, don't punish them for it. Mm -hmm. Make sure they understand what it takes to succeed. Set bound, set set realistic, you know, uh, expectations, and then and then tell people what you expect from them. And give them all the tools they need to succeed. Don't punish them when they don't find out what went wrong. You know, typically, if something goes wrong, it's not because people got up and said, "You know what? I'm going to screw up today." It's because something probably wasn't provided to them that they needed. Maybe they didn't ask enough questions. Maybe you didn't provide enough information. But um, but think about leadership. It's a, that's 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 what it's all about. You know, without without if you're not a professional leader, then you're not doing your job as a as a Coast Guard officer. So.
Wow. I mean, I can't, I can't wow. emphasize that enough. It's, it's, yeah. that's, that's, that is the only thing that used to, that used to drive me nuts is when, is when I'd see people just sort of take it for granted um, and, um, and act as if they didn't need to, they didn't need to help people, you know, who worked for them. They, you know, I, I remember this one uh, officer who worked for me who said, uh, look, it's their job to figure out what I want, not my job to tell them. Oh, wow. And, uh, and, and, you know, so that's, that's a clear and pretty easy example of what not to do, but, but watch for the ways in which you do that without even realizing it. Mm. You know, it, it happens a lot and never be afraid to apologize to somebody if you've made a mistake. You know, if you've, if you, you know, every now and then in the heat of things, you'll lose your temper. I've mm -hmm. done it. Everybody's done it. But you know what? Apologize to people and do it publicly. And, um, and you'd be shocked at the, um, at the amount of, um, the amount of, you know, the amount of connection that creates in a team. You know, don't be afraid to be, to, to have, to have human frailties occasionally. Yeah. You know, you're not, you don't have to be, be infallible as a leader. You just have to, yeah. you have to be good, you know? Yeah. So. Wow, uh, you know this this discussion takes me back. Uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to work for you as a junior officer, and we used to joke amongst our peers. We'd have these fireside chats with uh, little Captain Effinger, and this, <laughs> it takes me back to that moment. And I'm just really thrilled that the folks who weren't in those fireside chats are going to be able to hear this. So, thank you so much for your time, sir. This was just phenomenal. Well, Lushan, thank you. Thanks for thanks for your for for doing this. I'm I'm really excited to see um, the the fruits of your labors here. I think it's it's really important work, and I and I think that uh, what you're doing it falls right in line with what we just talked about. You know that you're exhibiting the kind of leadership that that helps other people be leaders, and that's that's important. So anything I can do to help, I'm always you know I'm happy to do it. It's been it's been fun to reconnect. Thanks for all the support, sir, and thanks for getting me here. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we enjoyed recording it. If you'd like to learn more about us, then please follow us or like us at facebook.com backslash CG Learning the Ropes and via our Twitter handle at CG Ropes.